Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is August 27, 2021, and I'm your skeptical host, Ken Mill. The title of today's podcast is, Should We Get Physical Therapy for Minor Musculoskeletal Disorders in the Emergency Department? And our guest skeptic is Dagny Kane Haas. She is a physiotherapist who has a master's degree in clinical science in manipulative therapy. Welcome back to the SGM, Dagny. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for having me back. Well, you have been our guest expert physiotherapist a couple of times in the SGM, once talking about rotator cuff injuries. Uh, that was back on SGM number 74. And another time we were discussing immobilization of dislocated shoulders, and that was on SGM 121. Wow, I am really pleased to be back for a third time, Ken. I appreciate it. You know, we're still seeing a lot of shoulder injuries in the clinic. Shoulders have terrific range of motion, but that leads them to having a lot of injuries at the same time. Yeah, that vulnerable position for the shoulder is up in that high five position. Hey, give me a high five. And the shoulder is so vulnerable there and can be dislocated. So interesting that you're seeing a lot. Now, has it been difficult working through COVID? Because obviously physiotherapy is very hands-on. Uh, how have you gotten through COVID with regards to being able to give the service and the treatment to the patients that you're seeing? Well, like so many other businesses and, and healthcare professionals, we had to change with COVID. We made the switch to telehealth, video telehealth, for those clients that really needed the support at home. As soon as we could get back into the clinic, we were able to do that with all the measures to make sure that clients were safe. So all the proper PPE, gowns, sanitizing, um, vaccinations, cleaning all the equipment and staggering clients when they come in so that they're not interacting with each other to keep the patient load down within the clinic itself. So it certainly has been a challenge. I think we've all learned a lot through COVID and some of these changes will stay with us because they do make us all safer and um, that's what we want for our clients. Yeah, we've had to adapt, we've had to change, we've had to learn new techniques and apply some existing technology. You know, you said telehealth, you've got telept, telephysiotherapy, right? Being able to connect with your clients and interact with them, you know, in that sort of classic like Zoom meeting environment, but you can interact with them and you can lead them through the various things that you want them to do to get their rehabilitation. That's exactly, that's exactly it. There are those patients that you do need to see in in the clinic, obviously, for hands-on, but there are a lot of patients that really just need to be given the right tools to do their therapy at home. Well, I'm always saying that the SGEM is a big tent. Patients deserve the best care from the moment they reach out for emergency care all the way through their experience and their journey to the point where they're gonna be discharged home from the emergency department or the inpatient unit and being followed up with other clinicians like physiotherapist. So that's why I wanted to get you on this paper as an expert in physiotherapy to discuss this kind of interesting thing that they did. But I don't want to spill the candy dish at the front door. So why don't you just give us a case to set this up? Okay, Ken. So we have a 40-year-old woman who presents to the ED with a sore lower back after moving some boxes at home over the weekend. She tried acetaminophen with limited relief 
Her pain is 8 out of 10 on the 0 to 10 point numeric pain rating scale. She had no red flags and is diagnosed as having mechanical back pain without imaging as per ASAP choosing wisely. You know, mechanical low back pain is difficult to treat effectively and we need to set appropriate expectations. While preparing her for discharge, you wonder if seeing a physiotherapist like myself before going home from the ED would improve her outcome. Well, we have covered acute and chronic back pain many times on the SGEM, and there really isn't a lot of high quality evidence that acetaminophen, NSAIDs, steroids, diazepam, muscle relaxants, or combinations of these various pharmacologic modalities provide much pain relief. We do know that opioids are very effective effective at reducing many types of pain, including musculoskeletal pain. However, opioids have many side effects and concerns about substance misuse. And ASAP has updated their policy in 2020 on the use of opioids, and they state, quote, preferential prescribed non-opioid analgesic therapies, non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic, rather than opioids as that initial treatment of acute pain in patients discharged from the emergency department. For cases in which opioid medications are deemed necessary, prescribe the lowest effective dose of a short-acting opioid for the shortest time indicated." End of quote. And this was a level C recommendation from the ASEP 2020 policy. There are several non-pharmaceutical treatments that have also been tried to treat low back pain. They include cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness, chiropractic, physiotherapy, and acupuncture. None of these other treatments have high quality evidence supporting their use. And we've covered a randomized control trial looking specifically at acupuncture to treat painful conditions presenting to the emergency department, including acute back pain, and that was on SGM 187. The trial reported no difference in clinical or statistical relevant reductions of pain at one hour between groups. However, we've not done a structured critical appraisal of an RCT, a randomized control trial, looking specifically at physiotherapy for this condition. So what's the clinical question we're going to try to answer on today's podcast? Okay, Ken, clinical question is, does access to physiotherapy in the ED help patients who present with minor musculoskeletal disorders? And what reference do you have, Dagny? Gagnon et al. Direct access physiotherapy to help manage patients with musculoskeletal disorders in an emergency department. Results of a randomized control trial. AEM 2021. All right, let's run through the PICO. What was the population that they included in their randomized control trial? All right, their population were adult patients between the ages of 18 and 80 years of age presenting to the ED with suspe suspected minor musculoskeletal disorders, traumatic or not. Minor was defined using the Canadian triage and acuity scale, score of three, four, or five. And then they excluded some patients that presented. Those were with non-minor MSK problems like an open fracture or an open wound. If they had a red flag, clinically they were unstable. These patients were being hospitalized or those that came in from a long-term care facility. 
How about the intervention? Okay, intervention was physiotherapists evaluated the patient post-triage in the ED. They would recommend interventions based on their clinical assessment. This could include things like advice, technical aids, imaging, prescribed or over-the-counter medication, and consults with other healthcare professionals. However, there was no follow-up by the physiotherapist. And I think it's important to point out that you don't get the wrong impression. So to point out the, they were not doing physiotherapy in the emergency department. They were doing an, a physiotherapy assessment, but they were, weren't providing any of the, the therapy, right? The manipulative therapy after any of the treatment modalities. They were just doing an assessment and then deciding, you know, disposition. Do they need over-the-counter medications, prescription medications? Would they suggest imaging? Would they suggest seeing another clinician? Those types of things. But they weren't doing what we would call physio in the department after that triage. That's my understanding, okay, yes, Ken. Yeah. All right, and so what did they compare it to? The usual standard care. All right, and what was their primary outcome? Primary outcome were pain and function at one and three months. Pain was assessed using the NPRS. Function was evaluated using the pain inventory subscale of the short version of the brief pain inventory. I like that, the short version of the brief pain. So I guess it was uber short or ultra short. <laughs> How about the secondary outcomes? Secondary outcomes were utilization of resources at the ED, at ED discharge. So interventions utilized, medications, healthcare professionals consulted, return to the ED for visits and imaging received. All right, so the authors themselves said, quote, patients presenting with a musculoskeletal disorder in the emergency department with direct access to a physiotherapist had better clinical outcomes and used less services and resources than those in the usual care group after emergency department discharge and up to three months after discharge, end of quote. All right, well, we've got a quality checklist of 11 questions for randomized control trials. Let's run through those quickly with yes, no, or unsure. The first question, Dagny, are these emergency department patients? Yes, they are. The patients, were they adequately randomized? Yes. Did they conceal the randomization? Yes. The patients were analyzed into the groups to which they were randomized, which means an intention to treat analysis. Yes. The patients were recruited consecutively. No, they weren't. Okay, that's our first no. The patients in both groups were similar with respect to prognostic factors. And that's a no again. And, and it's okay to be no on that question because you can, you can pre-specify and do adjustments later because sometimes randomization doesn't get exactly the same number of people, you know, in the same demographics in each group that you're looking at. How about all participants? Were they unaware of group allocation? That's another no, Ken. All right. Well, did, did they treat everybody equally except for the intervention? Yes, they did. And how about their follow-up? Was it complete? And we use a benchmark of looking for at least 80% of people were followed up, so they didn't lose more than 20%. That's a no. All patient important outcomes were considered. No, they weren't. And the 11th question, the final question, was the treatment effect large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? No. <laughs> All right, let's go through the results. They recruited 78 patients into the trial. The mean age was 40 years and 56% were male. What was the key result? Lower pain scores and better function in the physiotherapy group 
compared to the usual care at both one and three months. And the reason you've got uh, two different outcomes in two different time frames is their primary outcome really had four different parts. They had pain at one and three months and function at one and three months. And so I'll put a table in to summarize all those differences. The same thing with their secondary outcomes. They had a number of secondary outcomes. I'm going to put a table in that summarizes those. But let's get to the part where we can talk nerdy about the results because you gave the key result already. So let's just dig into the nerdy bits. And the first nerdy point we wanted to talk about was about consecutive patients. This was a consecutive recruitment of a convenient sample. So they only recruited for 13 hours, not per day, but per week between the hours of 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. Monday to Friday, depending on the availability of the physiotherapist. In contrast, emergency medicine is 24, 7, 365. So this selective recruitment could have introduced some bias and impact the external validity to those patients who present on nights, weekends, and holidays. The second point, Ken, is the differences in the groups. Those in the control group were older, they were more often male, and had a higher initial pain score. These differences could have been a result of the block randomization process used to balance areas of the body affected and not the age or sex. The authors did try to control though for these factors in their analysis. The third nerdy point is about lack of blinding. They did not describe the extent of blinding in the trial. The participants would have known if they were seen by a physiotherapist, but it's unclear if they were familiar with the hypothesis of the study. It's also not reported if the clinicians were blinded. This lack of blinding could have introduced bias as well. Getting more attention during the initial visit from other healthcare professionals could have impacted their initial pain and function scores and possibly those at one to three months. If the clinician knew about the trial, they too could have altered their usual care. Another point, Ken, is that there was a small sample size with a large loss to follow up. The a priori sample size was calculated on the minimal clinically important difference of the BPI estimated to be one. This required a total of 90 patients to be recruited into the trial. The final cohort only consisted of 78 patients. They unfortunately didn't reach their target number of patients due to the lack of funds. Yeah, and you know, when you go and try to power a study and you decide, okay, how many patients am I gonna need? It's based on a few things. And one of them is, you know, what's the delta you're looking for? And in this case, their delta or their minimally clinically important difference on this scale was considered 1.0. So that's how they powered their trial. But they're, they're not going to know what the baseline differences are going in. And so you have to make some assumptions. Once you've got the data, you've got the data, that's what it is, and then you analyze it and statistically uh, probe it. So yes, they didn't reach their power calculation of 90, but they got 78 patients and were able to run statistical analysis on them. The other quality metric that we look for is less than 20% loss to follow up. And this is just sort of an estimate, right? There's nothing magical about, oh, well, if it's at 19 or if it's 21% that it changes it. It's just it's one of those quality metrics that is not necessarily dichotomous. 
and they did have about 20% loss to follow up in the one and three month outcome. And there were also differences in those age, sex, and initial pain scores in those who were lost to follow up and those who were not. So this makes me even more skeptical of the results. Looking at the outcomes, they had four primary outcomes with pain and function being assessed at one and three months. Primary? I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> this increases the chance of type one error where the null hypothesis is false rejected. Anyone, anyone who listens to the SGM knows there can be only one. Primary outcomes well, the point estimate of the effect size difference between groups was statistically significant. However, when you look at that 95% confidence interval around that point estimate for the outcome, for a minimally important clinical difference, that crossed for both the pain and function at one and three months. And given the multiple other threats to validity, like small convenient sample, baseline differences, lack of blinding, and the loss to follow-up, this makes us more skeptical that there really is a meaningful clinical difference. All right, those are the five nerdy points we wanted to go through, Dagny. Now let's comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEM's conclusions. Okay, Ken. So while the conclusions are correct, we think they may be incomplete. It would have been better to put in a caution statement about the small sample size, the lack of blinding, and the loss to follow up to put the conclusions in better context. Yeah, it would have been nice if there was some context and it didn't have to be a lot. It could have just been there were certain threats uh, or limitations uh, that, you know, be cautious when interpreting the conclusions. How about our bottom line then? Well, physiotherapy looks promising as a potential intervention for patients with mild musculoskeletal disorders presenting to the ED. But we need better trials to confirm these preliminary findings with clinically significant outcomes before we can recommend their implementation. So normally with my guest, I have them give the case resolution, clinical application, and what they're going to tell the patient. But I guess we need to reverse the roles here because you'll be the physiotherapist coming in after triage and doing an assessment. But I still have to see the patient and do my you know, history followed by a directed physical exam and then judiciously using tests and investigations. So I'm going to actually have to resolve the case I'm gonna to have to clinically apply this in the emergency department and then actually talk to the patient at discharge. So why don't you ask me the questions and I'll try to come up with the answers. So Ken, as the emergency room physician, what would you do in this case? How would you resolve this case? Well, I think with this woman who comes in with some mechanical back pain after lifting some boxes on the weekend, I'd recommend uh, some ibuprofen because she's already tried acetaminophen so why not try some ibuprofen and see if that works better than acetaminophen and then of course I think with all of these painful conditions especially of lower back uh, it's really good to set expectations so you don't set patients up for failure I mean obviously give them the red flags of when to return and you know caution them with regards to new symptoms that could come up but I think to tell people that oh well you know just take a two or three days and you're gonna be fine it may 
it may set them up for failure when many people won't be fine after two or three days. It might take, you know, not just days, but weeks or months to get better. And so how are you going to clinically apply this study, Ken? Well, I really like to see that they've done a randomized control trial asking an important question. Can physiotherapists as clinicians in the emergency department offer benefit to patients? So it's really nice to see that and nice to see that they got a preliminary positive outcome. However, these results really do need to demonstrate a clinically meaningful outcome because you know that statistical stuff and the point estimate and the minimal clinically important difference Yes, it was greater than, but that 95% confidence interval. So I think before we start just applying this across our emergency departments and putting physiotherapists in our emergency departments, I think really we need uh, more robust data and uh, a, a better study that could uh, look into this and see if uh, it really does make a clinical difference for the patients. So having said that, Ken, what are you going to tell your patient that's sitting in front of you oh, in the emergency room? Yeah, really practical. Yeah, I can't have that sort of esoterical conversation saying we need more trials. So what I would say is, you know, you've likely strained your lower back from lifting boxes on the weekend. And this can be very painful. So you're validating their pain. Acetaminophen and ibuprofen may be helpful but it's unlikely to get rid of your pain completely. And I think that's really good about setting expectations. I'm always trying to describe to people that, you know, there's pain and then there's suffering and you still may be in some pain when you leave or when you take these medications, but we want to eliminate suffering as much as possible so you can function, so you can do your activities of daily living, but you may still have pain. and trying to get to zero out of 10 pain can get us into trouble when we're trying to drive that number down to zero because when you're healing, you may have some pain, but I don't want you to be suffering. And people have tried other things, so I would, I would uh, mention those things to the patient saying, you know, there are other things besides medication that have been tried, like physiotherapy. We don't have great evidence for the medications, but we also don't have great evidence for these other non-pharmaceutical modalities, but it's something you may consider using. Unfortunately, some people who strain their back can have pain for weeks or even months. So try to stay active. It's sort of like the Goldilocks zone. Not too much, you know, and not too little. You don't wanna, you know, when is bed rest for two weeks good for pretty much anything, right? Because you get deconditioned fast. So I would say, you know, you don't want to do too much and you don't want to do too little. You want to be in that Goldilocks zone to stay active. But if the pain is getting worse or you're losing function of your lower limbs or losing function of your bowel or bladder, you know, these types of red flags or if the patient is otherwise worried, you know, please come back to the emergency department so we can do a reassessment. Sounds good, Ken. I agree. All right, it's time to announce the Keener Contest winner, and last week's winner was Jacob Miller, a flight nurse practitioner in Cincinnati, Ohio. He knew Stranger Things was the Netflix show set in the town of Hawkins, Indiana, that the song, The NeverEnding Story, appeared in the season finale. All right, Dagny, you got a physiotherapy question for us? Yes, I do, Ken. So the question is, when were the first records of physiotherapy being practiced found? Okay, so 
you're not talking, you know, because we've got a, a, a more mature or older audience and we've got a younger audience. When you say records, you're not talking about LP records, long play. You know, those were 12 inch discs, uh, that's about 30 centimeters of, of vinyl, and you'd put a needle on it and it would spin around and play music. That's not the records we're talking about. Not today, Ken. <laughs> I'm so stuck in the 80s. Yeah, that's not the record. You're talking about the records, the documents that mm -hmm. documented physiotherapy. When, when, when did we find the, like, the documents? What year were documents discovered that showed when physiotherapy was first started? Is that That's correct. Okay. That's All it. Right. All right. I hope the question is clear enough. All right. Well, if you know the answer, then send an email to the SGEM at gmail.com. With Keener in the subject line, the first correct answer will receive a cool skeptical prize. I want to remind everybody that you can get CME credits for listening to the SGEM. The content is always free, but there's a small fee for the CME. And this will help support this free open access to medical education program. Because our ultimate goal is for patients to get the best care based on the best evidence. Well, thanks, Dagny, for coming back as a recurring guest on the SGEM. I appreciate being here. Thank you, Ken. Well, let me make you appreciate this more. This is going to be the season finale Woo! for season number nine. We're coming back for season number 10 in September. So we're recording this in August. We're recording this up here in Goderidge in my dining room, right? So it's a little echoey, but we're recording this in August at the end of the summer. And then we're going to be starting season number 10. I can't believe we're coming into 10th year of the SGEM. Congratulations, Ken. Terrific. It, it well is, done. It is a whole bunch of nerdiness, isn't it? Like 10 years. I just, you know, when I started this, I thought, you know, I'll uh, open up a computer, start talking into it, critical appraisal stuff, talking nerdy. And it is translated into such an amazing project of knowledge translation. And it wouldn't have been possible without people liking the content, listeners, the SGEMers, caring about patients and caring about patients getting the best care. So I want to thank all of you for making the SGEM so successful. Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward. We've got some new things coming up in season 10, but I don't want to uh, tell everybody about it now. But season 10, it's just around the corner. All right, Dagny, last thing to do then is can you please read the SGEM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone in Season 10.